Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. One of the things that we've been watching unfold for the last couple of years has been the rise of freedom rallies and freedom marches. But one of the things that's happened with those freedom rallies and those freedom marches is that they have quickly become about a whole lot more than just the the mask mandates or just the public health restrictions. There's a very dangerous undercurrent of things going on with a lot of those events. And we wanted to talk about those. So that's what we're doing today. And we're doing it with the assistance of somebody who knows quite a bit about what these things are going on and who some of the people are that are involved in the background. Kurt Phillips is a board member for the, uh, let me get it right here. He's a board member for the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Uh, he also is a writer and one of the founders of the Anti-Racist Collective. Uh, and he wears a few other hats that we may or may talk about. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. So before we get started, I just want to get ahead of what I know are going to be some of the comments that we get on this episode, uh, which are going to be, why are two middle-aged white guys talking about racism? And for me, uh, and this is going to be my first question to you in a sec, but for me, one of the really important parts of dealing with racism is making sure that people see that there are folks who are typically associated with uh, the propagation of some of these views, standing up and saying, ah, oh, no, that's bullshit. And so to me, as a middle-aged white guy, it's really important for me to make it clear where my stances are on issues of racism and prejudice and all of that sort of thing, because I think that, that it's important for other middle-aged white guys to see that it's not just the victims of racism who are standing up against it. It's the people who enjoy some of the most privilege. So that's my first question to you, Kurt. What got you involved in uh, the anti-racist actions that you've been doing for quite some time now? Well, it's actually kind of uh, uh, fortuitous you talk about uh, 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 privilege too. I mean, I, I, I always acknowledge this. I mean, I've never and will never face uh, racism, discrimination. Uh, I am as close to the power elite as you could possibly get. I'm a you know, middle-class, middle-age, uh, white guy who's, you know, professional. So ultimately, you know, it, it, people who, who might look at me and say, yeah, you, what, what do you know about this experience? I go, I know nothing about this experience. I've never experienced it. I will never know what it's like. I do know it's wrong. I do know that discrimination is wrong. I know that treating people poorly is wrong. And that's where I came from it initially. I remember uh, when I was a child, you know, I was you know sitting at home with my mother, and this is years and years ago. And my mother was never uh, uh, concerned about what TV shows you watch per se. Uh, she was always somebody who explained things. So I don't know the name of it, I don't know the title, but I remember this movie, um, and it was about the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s. And they and I I couldn't get through my 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 mind at that time why they were doing these horrible things to people based on you know, how they looked or their religion. It didn't make any sense to me. And as I grew up, uh, my first degree is in anthropology. And, and uh, although I was more interested in archaeology initially and worked as an archaeologist, in fact, but uh, uh, I began to move toward more towards the cultural aspect of it. And I was fascinated by and, and horrified by these, these fringe movements. Uh, you know, the, I, I came of age when the Heritage Front was a, the major hate group in Canada, the largest hate group in Canada since the Klan of the 1920s in, in Saskatchewan. Um, 
so I, I, I kind of absorbed everything that I could uh, at the time. Again, almost uh, much of it was pre-internet, uh, but I was, I was both fascinated and horrified by it. And I wanted to know what made people tick. And as, as I got a little bit older and I, I immersed myself a little bit more in it, um, I thought, well, I've, I've attained a, a degree of information and, and knowledge about these groups and these individuals. Maybe there's something I could do that could be useful um, in terms of you know, exposing what they're up to. They, the rhetoric that, that they claim, uh, we're peaceful, nonviolent, and you know, how that is belied by the reality of what they're doing. Um, and I think we still see that today. Uh, you know, groups like the Proud Boys, for example, claim to be a uh, kind of a patriotic civic nationalist organization when in fact they're they're involved in some, particularly in the United States, in some pretty ugly violence uh, directed at people of color, women, um, and others. And when you go into their their your, their social media, uh, the social media they think that most people don't look at, you really get a, a real view of what they believe. It's uh, it's like David Duke never uses the N word in public, but certainly did when he was in private, based on on uh, a lot of uh, uh, you know firsthand information. Again, that's kind of why I got into it. The, rea the reality that this exists. And I think we all have a responsibility to do something about it. And um, I will always defer to people who experience this. I will always listen to their concerns because they're the ones who know better than I do. But if I didn't do something, if I, if I didn't try to do something, I wouldn't feel good about myself. Okay. I, and that's kind of the, I, I like how you said that because that's kind of the point that I was trying to make at the beginning in that uh, while there's no question that the, the voices of people who are experiencing prejudice and racism need to be elevated. And, and we've certainly tried to do that on this show. It's a, it's a societal problem and it's going to require everybody stepping up. Uh, and, and I think that's where it gets really important for folks like you and me to, to make it clear where, where we stand. So what was your, if you can just kind of walk us through what your, your, your path was like on that. So like you're, you're, you're a board member for the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Um, you uh, founded the Anti-Racist Collective. Um, how, did, how did all of that come to be a thing? Well, uh, it started when I moved to Alberta. I, I began te I began teaching here in 2002. And not long after moving here, there was a, a hate group that emerged in Edmonton uh, called uh, uh, Western Canada for Us. Uh, and, and I, you know, started to do the same kind of research I was doing before. And I was able to figure out who some of the people were, the ones that, you know, uh, always hide their identities and such. Um, now, this is you know, when I was a little bit maybe more arrogant, a little bit more naive as well. And uh, I, I wrote an article on one of these individuals for uh, uh, an indie media, um, never realizing too that I left a mile track, a mile wide, figure, able to figure out who I was, uh, which they did. Um, so that was a bit of a, a humbling lesson there in, in terms of, yeah, you're, you're smart enough to figure out who they are and don't underestimate them. They, they could probably figure out who you are as well. Um, but I kept on with that. I actually started a database of, of, of hate groups, hate uh, individuals, members of these hate groups as well. Uh, but it didn't really didn't feel like enough. So in 2007, November 2007, I started writing about them. And my, my focus was at the time, and I thought it was going to be exclusively on the then Aryan Guard uh, that emerged in 2006 in Calgary. Um, but very quickly uh, began to focus on um, the rest of Canada. Uh, I was always a little bit iffy on Quebec. I, I'm sadly unilingual and, and I'm embarrassed by that, but uh, 
but it, it, it really kind of shows you the scope of the problem in Canada. It's not just, you know, when, you know, people in Canada think that, well, Alberta, this is you know, conservative redneck. Of course, they're going to be there. Well, yeah, they're here, but they're also in Ontario. They're also in BC. They're in Saskatchewan. They're in Manitoba. They're, uh, they're all over. Uh, so, in fact, a lot of the, the ones who became active here originally were from other provinces. So it's, it's a problem that we, we face all throughout Canada. So that's when I started. I, I started a, a, a blog. Uh, I am technically mostly inept. I, I'm, I'm really awful at it. Uh, and I, uh, people usually laugh because the very first uh, iteration of Anti-Racist Canada, um, our collective, uh, was on uh, LiveJournal. Uh, because oh, it was wow. the only blog I really knew about at the time. And um, that got shut down. I thought, well, okay, well, let's try this blogger thing. And it was there for ever since. And, uh, uh, but it was, it was, it was, it's, it, I, I think somebody, I think Mac Lamoureux, uh Vice likened it to a, uh, what is it, a, 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 something that looked like it came out of 2010. I know that was probably optimistic. It's, it's much, much jankier than that. It's it's not my space. No, no, that's true. That's true. Although, if it were still around, that would be the first one I would have tried. There you go. <laughs> so, let's get to kind of what we're what we're here to to talk about, and and that is the these these freedom rallies and how they. Some people have said that they've started from places of opportunistic. Uh, recruitment uh, but I don't think there's any question that that's certainly one of the things that's come of them so walk me through kind of your experience with watching these things unfold and, and what you what you see with them well I think it's important to note that they they didn't of course uh, come out of a vacuum uh, one of the things that I and others have observe, observed is that there was always some sort of precursor. So I could go back much further than this, but, uh, you know, it started, it started, it didn't start, but, you know, it, it's, it, um, we could, we, we, we could start with 2015, the lead up to uh, the federal election where the then Harper conservatives were defeated by the Trudeau liberals. Um, leading up to that, uh, the Harper government and, and Stephen Harper, uh, you know, threw out a bunch of dog whistles. The, uh, the, uh, you know, the promise to create a hotline for barbaric cultural practices, which was very much a uh, dog whistle for, you know, report your Muslim neighbors. Uh, the statement about old stock Canadians, which he claimed wasn't racist, but has been used by every single racist group since then uh, to describe the other people who are not, who don't look like me or you. Um, uh, so it started if we're going to start, can you say it started there and the movement to, uh, you know, these kind of groups emerging on social media. Um, not long after there was Ikhred Khalid, uh, her M103 motion, which was a non-binding motion to condemn Islamophobia and all of its, uh, all other forms of racism at the same time as Canada was welcoming Syrian refugees. So we had the anti-refugee movement that started at that time, anti um, anti-M103, and we had these massive rallies. Uh, uh, I, th I think we're probably going to talk, talk about the Pulaski brothers uh, eventually at one point. Um, I really, I, I knew about them peripherally before, but I really began to know who they were as a result of their involvement with the anti-immigrant, anti-refugee movement. 
Um, the the uh, Arthur was a, a keynote speaker at a, an event organized by a group with the not very subtle name uh, West, uh, Worldwide Coalition Against Islam, which wasn't really worldwide or much of a coalition. It was basically four guys, but still. Um, but then we move from that into the Yellow Vest Movement. Okay, um, the Yellow Vest Movement in in France started as an anti-government, more kind of a leftist kind of movement. In Canada, it was very much a right-wing movement and uh, you know, anti-government, pro-oil. Um, in between all these, of course, you have movements that started too, like Soldiers of Odin, uh, which you know started in Finland but became a, a major group in, in Canada for, for a time. For, for roughly a year, it was, it was kind of one of the major concerns that I had uh, until it inevitably kind of broke up and broke up into various you know provincial chapters. But we see basically the same, quite often some of the same people moving from movement to movement to movement. And now, of course, we have, you know, the anti-lockdown, anti-mask, anti-COVID vaccination. Um, and a lot of these people are using, uh, you know, the same rhetoric they're using about Muslims, about uh, immigrants, about, you know, the other, essentially. Um, the very racist language regarding Dr. Tam, for example, and and uh, uh, is being used, and it's. I, I always find it ironic that the same people who don't believe COVID exists are also some the same people who are blaming Chinese immigration as a, uh, for the for the virus. So there's there's no need to maintain any degree of consistency in, in their their belief system. Um, but we've also, of course, seen that there are groups that have been there who have tried to use this uh, and the the I guess you could say radicalization that this movement and social media has resulted in um, or has, has, has helped create uh, trying to get recruits from that as well. So groups like Canada First or uh, Plaid Army or these other other groups that are emerged trying to use this kind of wedge issue um, and of course bring in there, well, it's the, you know, if you're really concerned about, you know, the, the country, it's not just these vaccines, it's also, you know, those immigrants that are coming in, the refugees, uh, Jews, whatever they, they deem as the enemy. Is there, have you noticed, because you've been following this for quite some time, is there a bit of a re recurring theme where some of these individuals will latch on to whatever the uh, topic of the day is, whether or not it's Syrian refugees, whether or not it's immigration policies, whether or not it's uh, COVID stuffs, and they'll use that to start a conversation and, and sort of get people interested and then gradually pivot to... Um, Oh yeah, but also we got to have a talk about those 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 people who aren't old stock Canadians. Is is that a tactic that you've seen used? I, I have seen it to a degree, certainly. Um, I, I think the overriding theme is replacement. Uh, the belief that the powers that be, well, you know, and, and we know what powers that the, they use the terms they could use the term globalists or um, you know the far more anti-Semitic you know phraseology. Uh, but ultimately, it's it's they want to replace you and. Uh, with M103, um, it, it was amazing to see this. Uh, the claims that there are, Canada is bringing in three million Muslim refugees a year in to replace uh, real old stock Canadians, or um, during the uh, M, M, uh, the, uh, the Yellow Vest movement, uh, um, you know they're trying to uh, they again they are trying to uh, replace uh, uh, you know old stock Canadians by destroying the economy, the, uh, the, the, the resource extraction economy. Uh, with COVID, 
uh, well, now those vaccines are, they're not really trying to save you. They're trying to kill you because they're trying to replace you with much more compliant third world immigrants. And the, again, old stock Canadians, they'll be, you know, they'll be eliminated so that the, again, powers of B, the globalists, what have you, uh, they'll be able to control these much more compliant people much more effectively, which I always find ironic because, again, if you look at COVID statistics, I think immigrants are, are again, at least some of the statistics, statistics I'm looking at are at least equal with, um, you know, uh, Canadian born, uh, if not surpassing Canadian born for, for, for getting them. One of the things that always has struck me about those those conspiracy theories is when you take a look at the I'll, I'll use Alberta as an example because that's what this show is about and what I where I live. If you take a look at the COVID response that we've seen from the provincial government, the idea that they could manage a conspiracy, let alone their way out of a wet paper bag, is is it's a, it's a stretch for me. I'll say, <laughs> but that's part of the conspiracy. So the the ineptness of whatever government is in power, or at least perceived ineptness, or in some case, real ineptness. Um, that's part of the conspiracy as well, because, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's self-fulfilling, essentially. Whatever, whatever is being done, they can easily track into, well, this is part of their plot against us. And because, and I, I, I brought up social media a lot. I bring it up with my uh, the concern I have with my students, for example, even outside of the, you know, what we're talking about now, uh, the algorithms are created in such a way that it'll push the information you want to see right to you. And if it sees that you're only reading, you know, these these anti-vaccination conspiracy theories, those are the ones that are going to get sent to you. And as you fall further down that rabbit hole and, you know, those people who might try to talk you out of it, try to talk you down from the ledge, well, they're part of the, the conspiracy, so you shut them out of your life. And sooner, eventually, you're surrounded only by people who agree with you. So you get in their mind that, well, I must be the real majority. The, the, the news that's telling me all this stuff in line uh, uh, that's going on in our society, that's fake news. Uh, the, the, the claim that, you know, and I've seen this, for example, the claim that 85, at that time, I think 85% of, of um, Albertans had the vaccine. Uh, they genuinely believe no, it's one percent. Uh, this is this is this is not true. Um, ridiculous conspiracy theories uh, and 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 not just theories, but outright statements. One person saying that you know half of Israel has died as a result of the of, of the vaccine. Uh, things that are you know are, are provably false, but because they don't expose themselves to media outside their sphere, they only believe what they see. It's always kind of struck me as like uh, there's there's an improv exercise called yes and and the watching the conspiracy thing kind of unfold has always kind of struck me as the the rules of the game are you have to say yes and then you have to add something else to it that somebody else can build off of and it seems like that improv game has become the the model for a lot of the way that these conspiracy conversations go because somebody will say something and somebody will go yeah and and then they'll throw in the next level of crazy and then the next level and and it just you can't stop the game but i mean in an in, in an improv setting there's there's a terminus for it but have you seen anything that seems to be able to to break that yes and cycle uh. I, I, among the true believers, not really. I mean, it's, I, 
I, I've, I, it, it's frustrating because you look at what they're, they're, they're claiming and again, verifiably false. It's, it's easy to disprove, but the very act of disproving it in, in the minds of them and the individuals shows that it's, it's true because if you were, well, it's, it's, I've heard it both ways, right? So there's one, uh, if, if you try to disprove it, well, that must mean you're afraid of it. So you're trying to silence it. And if you ignore it, well, it must be true because if it wasn't true, people would be arguing against it. So there's no real way to, to deal with that kind of mindset. I mean, it, they've, they've created a, a box for themselves where, um, where any effort or no effort to dissuade from beliefs is confirmation of those beliefs. It doesn't seem like, I mean, one of the, in, in all of the things that you've listed off there, it seems like one of the big things that's, that's missing is a desire or even a willingness to look at verifiable facts. It's, I mean, I mean there's, there's arguments that people can use to say, well, no, you're part of the conspiracy or this is, this is, you know, yes. And, um, but it doesn't seem like there's a much of a drive to go. Well, is that true though? Is have you have you? I mean, you you have a lot of these interactions online. Have you have you seen any examples of somebody going? I don't know about that. Or is that just not? Is that a piece that's just missing? No, you, I have, and the the reaction is fascinating, actually. So um, one of the other movements, kind of uh, piggybacking with this, is the QAnon. Uh, you know, uh, save the children, the belief that, you know, the uh, you know, child trafficking, and, and which is a thing. I mean, we know that human trafficking exists. Uh, we just had a very famous example of that not just long, not long ago where a person was convicted. Um, but they, they it go, gets into conspiracy theories when you believe that there are tunnels under New York and Washington, D.C. and Toronto where, you know, they're being bred for their I can't even pronounce the names, but basically, you know, being bred for uh, to create eternal life for for the the elite, essentially, it, it, it's it's laughable, except that people believe it. And can we see the the dangers of that, too? Um, but in one form, there was a uh, group of individuals, some associated with the Northern Guard, which is kind of an offshoot of the soldiers of Odin, uh, some soldiers of Odin, a few other people. They started another group basically on that kind of theme, save the children. Uh, you know, their, their, their big push was to have a, a list of uh, pedophiles or people convicted of, of sex offenses uh, published. And we could argue the utility of that, you know, perhaps. Uh, but I'm not sure I want a, a lot of very angry, you know, hate groups wanting this information because they're not going to use it for anything good. Um, but just to get to the point then, there was, was one conversation they were having and um, there was a t-shirt and again, uh, there was a, a t-shirt with pizzas on it. It was in the children's section of like Walmart. And you know, some of them were, you know, saying, well, this is proof that the elite is, you know, pizzas are a symbol for child molestations, uh, uh, pedophilia. And there were a few people who said, well, or it's just a t-shirt. Like these are people who are true believers, except in this case, they, they question it. It was the only thing they questioned. And as a result of questioning it, um, some of whom these people claim they were themselves sexually molested as children. Uh, but as a result of questioning it, they, were, they started to be questioned, well, why would you question this, this, this true thing? You must be a part of this. 
which got some of them back in line. Those that refused were were kicked out and were kind of targeted because they must be part of the pedophile movement as well. That were sent the the deep state sent them in to try to disrupt their their efforts essentially. So those that question it, they either fell back in line, or they were targeted themselves eventually. What you're describing there seems to almost be a, and I I struggle to use this word, but it's the only one that's popping in my head. So I'm I'm going to with apologies. It seems like there's almost a a sense of community uh, and and belonging that's driving some of this. Have you seen any evidence of that, or am I completely off base? No, I think that's probably the most one of the most accurate ways to look at it. Now, prior to the internet, these individuals always existed. We we knew they were out. They were the I'm not going to use the pejorative language that uh, we use to describe these these individuals, but um, they were the ones who we kind of you know. Uh, as a society kind of looked at and said, oh, you know, tinfoil hat people, right? Um, they were alone though. They, 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 they weren't able to network because people, they didn't know anybody else. Uh, as a result of social media, they're able to now network with others who have these beliefs. And again, it, it creates a sense, I'm not alone. There are more people like me. And I find this not just in, in this kind of movement uh, now, but also hate groups. I mean, you know, a lot of young people who are disaffected, uh, uh, you know, they might be in very difficult family situations. Again, not all. I, I don't want to paint with a broad brush. There are some that were, I, I know of some that were had parents who loved them, who cared for them, who gave them every opportunity they had um, uh, to succeed, and they still fell in these groups. But I find a lot of them came from really dysfunctional backgrounds, and they were desperate for a family, a family that wasn't neglectful or abusive. And, you know, much like you know cults they 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 kind of attracted these individuals and provided them that sense that sense of family that sense of community so what you you're, you're suggesting i think is accurate because these are people who are looking for others who will confirm what they believe what they may have always believed or what they've come to believe as a result of going down that rabbit hole and it provides them some comfort you're, you're teeing me up there in a big way, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the opportunity. Um, do you think that there are individuals who exploit that need for community to their own gain? Oh, certainly. Uh, you look at some of the individuals who've become uh, kind of key figures in this movement. I think of the Plowski brothers, uh, Arthur and David. I think of Pat King in... Uh, and uh, in Red Deer, Red Deer area, um, a number of other individuals too, who who are able to they they got a charisma about them. Um, you know, uh, you could comment on their knowledge base, but they certainly have charisma and are able to attract people to them. Um, and they certainly have a certain cleverness to be able to you know in, in terms of manipulating people. Um, but it's the same rhetoric I see with people like you know we were talking earlier about. Uh, you know, you know the, the hate group in Calgary that emerged in 2006, uh, Arian Guard, which eventually became Blood and Honor. Uh, the leader of that was a very charismatic individual. And to look at him, you think, well, how has he got any pull? But he really did. Um, so we're seeing these kind of groups. We're seeing uh, other groups, excuse me, we're seeing other groups that are emerging that are trying to use this kind of as a wedge issue to, to, uh, kind of pick out people, well, if you're concerned about this and, you know, government interference in your life, well, here's how they're doing it. And, you know, they're, they're trying to get, you know, younger people, for example, like I think of Canada First, uh, uh, which is a group started by a guy named Tyler Russell and out of Ontario. 
um, who uses the anti-vax, anti, anti-COVID rhetoric as a means of, and, and of course, you know, meme culture to try to uh, attract members to his group um, with varying degrees of success. Um, other groups like uh, the Plaid Army or, you know, Diagalong is what they, they, they refer to themselves as well. Um, you know, using this kind of rhetoric that, and, and of course the toxic masculinity that's associated with too. I mean, what are you going to be afraid of a virus? Like, you know, be a man, don't be a, don't wear a diaper on your face, uh, which, you know, taking precautions isn't unmanly, but you know, what do I know? Um, you brought up a couple of names there that I want to go into because they are particularly relevant and the overlap to me is, is where things get really fascinating. Um, Archer and David, so can you, for our, our listeners, can you give a bit of a, 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 some history and some context for who are Arthur and David? Uh, and and what, what do you see going on there? Well, Arthur and David uh, are, are Polish immigrants, uh, been in Canada for probably 20 plus years. They've been here for a long time. Um, they're street preachers in Calgary. And they've been around for, and, and they've been in the news for, one thing or another for for years. I mean, I first um, I first became aware of them as a result of their their claims that they were going to sue a um, uh, a medieval festival in Brooks, Alberta, because uh, they weren't allowed to come back with their religious paraphernalia. Um, that that the the organization said, "Well, we're kind of secular. We want to make sure everybody is is welcome." And they, of course, claimed um, you know anti Christian persecution. Um, there was a time too when they wanted to march in the Calgary Stampede, where it said no, and instead kind of just jumped to the front and marched anyways. Um, constantly being, you know, uh, you know, being fined for variety reasons. Um, but I, I really started to pay attention to them in 2017 when they became involved in, as as I was discussing, the anti um, anti immigrant kind of movement. Which you know, there's some irony in that, of course. Um, but the immigrants that they were opposed weren't. The immigrants that they were they 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 were opposing syrians they were opposing refugees people of color um so they they began in the you know i first really began paying attention to them when they started when uh, uh arter was a, a keynote speaker for western canada or sorry uh getting my groups mixed up uh worldwide coalition against islam uh started by again overt racists uh joey deluca uh you know jesse wanga and, and other individuals um but he was a speaker there and it was a, he was, they were railing against uh, refugees, M103. Uh, there were posters, uh, you know, keep the sewage out of Canada. Um, it was being guarded by members of 3% militia that were, you know, carrying stun canes with them. Um, soldiers of Odin, uh, I think maybe Northern, nah, I don't know, maybe Northern Guard members were involved in as well. Other other hate groups were, were in the mix. And, you know, I've got video of, of, of Arthur speaking to this group. Um, also, ironically, uh, complaining to a, uh, I think either a police officer or a bylaw officer, that um, uh, the counter-protesters were violating by city bylaws and that they needed to be enforced. Uh, which, again, given what they're into now is profoundly ironic um but they've they've uh, they, they've they've kind of gotten ties with a number of other groups in canada um you know kevin kevin j johnson of course who moved from mississauga is is a, a major supporter and he, he, they're a major supporter of him um uh there they've been involved with uh pat king out of red deer um but again they're very much pushing the anti-vaccination anti-mask 
Uh, they're claiming this is uh, communism and Nazism at the same time. Um, again, ironic, ironic considering some of the people they associate with in terms of the right. Um, but they've they've made a, a Arter in particular has made a very has been very uh, I guess he's been very successful in 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 making this a a means of elevating himself. Um, <clears throat> your your listeners might be aware that he was uh, the person who you know shouted "Get out of his church" to. AHS, an AHS employee in Easter last year. Um, that went viral. It was, it was, it was platformed by uh, Breitbart, for example, and, uh, and uh, 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 Steve Bannon. Uh, so he was pushing this information. Um, when he was arrested, when, when David and, and Arda were arrested, and you know, very dramatic. I mean, they dropped to their knees. I mean, they didn't have to. They, they did that on purpose because they wanted to get the visuals. And those visuals have been very effective. Uh, it's been, it's been, you know, particularly in the United States. Uh, as a result of that, he did a, you know, Arter did a three-month tour of the United States, uh, where he was uh, in the midst of this the evangelical um, Trump supporters who uh, have, uh, believe that Trump, the election was stolen from Trump, uh, that uh, COVID is a conspiracy against, you know, white Christians essentially. And I, 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 I would imagine that it was a very lucrative trip for him as well. But he, the people who organized it was a group that was very much involved in organizing the January 6th uh, 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 rallies that turned into an insurrection in Washington, D.C. The fascinating thing about the, the, the platforming of some of Arthur's videos to me has always been it's incredibly selective. Because he has these moments where he will, you know, appears to be standing up for the church and all of that kind of stuff. But there was another video that made the rounds where when he was served with some some tickets uh, for violating a bunch of laws. And he went on what was probably one of the most, I, I'm going to use the word impressive, misogynistic rants towards a group of female police officers where he openly was like, you send a woman like I am a dog. And it was, it was fascinating to see how his audience and the people who were supporting him completely overlooked that part and focused on the things that, that they wanted to focus on. And it seems to be a recurring theme. I mean, throughout this whole conversation, the, the, one of the recurring themes seems to be that people are being incredibly selective over what information they're choosing to acknowledge as information that they want to internalize. I can't even call it fact because it's not. Um, and they're, they're equally as selective about what, what they choose to dismiss. How do, how do you deal with that? Well, again, a really good example of that too is, um, uh, again, another Ontario-based, uh, although apparently he might have a residence in Alberta now, Chris Sikosia, also known as Chris. Ah, yeah, fantastic. That's what we need. Um, but this is a person who, any pretense to being a, a, a devout Christian um, is, 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 you know, I, I really can't say anything about that, but I certainly think a lot about that. Um, There's questions. <laughs> yes, I have questions, certainly. But this is a person who is, is we, we, we know he was involved, he, he's, he, prior to getting involved in this movement, uh, was virulently anti-Semitic, anti-Black, um, anti-immigrant. Uh, we, we've got the receipts, right? We post all this stuff. Um, 
and Arthur considers him an ally, right? They, they, they support each other. Um, and not long ago, uh, somebody who used to be in, in Chris's uh, uh, orbit, uh, who's working with them, was video recorded a, an incident where he was berating members of his own uh, kind of group, essentially, the, the three people who were working with them, uh, violently screaming at them, swearing at them, threatening them, uh, you know, flying off the handle in such a way I've rarely seen from an adult. Um, and that was, that was, that was posted uh, in various places. And that alone, we would think the way he was treating his own supporters, uh, people who were, who volunteered to help him would be enough to get some people to reject them, but they justified it. People justified saying, well, he's under a lot of stress. I mean, he's, he's, he's fighting for Canada. So we have to, we have to cut him some slack. Uh, this desire to have heroes essentially, and, and not want to see your heroes fall. Um, Donald Trump. I mean, a lot of these people are huge Donald Trump fans. Um, this is their savior, a man who uh, has cheated every single person throughout his entire life. Uh, he's the great savior and they don't believe it. Uh, I always find it funny that, um, you know, now that some of the January 6th insurrectionists are being convicted and sentenced to real prison sentences, uh, they're beginning to question, well, why didn't Trump say anything in support of us? Why didn't they, why didn't he try to help us? And now they're getting, well, he's throwing us under the bus. Like, well, it's too late now, but too many other people don't believe that. Again, we see it here too. People who willingly use their supporters, it doesn't matter because there's still supporters that will 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 forgive it. Will say, well, there's justification for that. Um, again, use uh, uh, David and and uh, and Arthur as examples. I mean, just uh, interestingly enough, I saw not long, uh, not not to uh, today, in fact, uh, an argument on on uh, an individual's Facebook profile uh, where. You know, somebody confronted him about his religious take on something, uh, uh, and he said, "How dare? Basically, how dare you, woman, respond to me using that term, woman, as if he it's likes a that term. He does. He does. And I think that goes back to some some evangelical sects that don't, don't truly, genuinely don't believe that women have any place teaching men. You need to know your place. That's appalling. It is. <laughs> it's really. I don't. I mean. Uh, I, I, I don't even, I don't even know what to say to that. Would you, would it be safe to say like one of the, the dynamics that I'm interested in is it seems to be to some degree that there are people who by any number of circumstances are, are, I'm going to use the word vulnerable to misinformation and disinformation, whether or not it's uh personal hardship whether or not it's trauma whether or not it's uh knowing how to navigate social media and the internet critically there there seems to be a a, a big chunk of people that i would just characterize as being vulnerable um but then there also seems to be this other group like the the davids and the archers who recognize that and are I'm going to use the word predatory. Am I, am I wrong? No, I, I, they, they would say you're wrong, but I, I wouldn't. I, I, I certainly see that. I mean, they, they look at this as an opportunity to expand their base. Um, uh, Arter is, is reveling in this. I mean, I've seen him post, they, they, they created t-shirts and hats saying, get out. Um, they, 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 I think somebody created a great poster of him 
uh, not a great poster. They created a great big poster of him uh, that he was proudly standing beside. I mean, he's a celebrity. He was being treated like a celebrity in the States. He was, you know, taking, you know, limos everywhere. Comes back to Canada. He's still kind of looking at that and, and kind of, you know, looking for that. Um, so, yeah. And, and just with the idea of, of people are vulnerable, we've always seen this, right? I remember, you know, a, a student of mine years ago, uh, you know, coming in mr phillips i have we, there's evidence that humans didn't land on the moon now really where'd you get that from and they showed me a website i go well yeah so it says on the website but you know did you question where it comes from it's basically a blog uh it's it's a you know you know as somebody who wrote a blog you should question the information where it's coming from whether it's whether it's accurate or not whether you could source it or not uh but again i think now we've seen that credulousness Willingness to believe, because there's always you're always going to have sub segment in that population. Um, always, you're always going to have that. I think you're seeing a, a willingness to now weaponize that for people's own political or you know economic agenda. I have to, one of the other things that struck me during this conversation is it seems like a lot of this fits into the the broad themes. Ironically enough. Uh, of radicalization and in particular when we're talking about radicalization of, of other groups i mean you could you could swap out some of the names that we've used here today to talk about people who have been associated with uh isis or isil or daesh or or all of those things and it seems like the same patterns at play where you have people who want prestige they want money they want power whatever the case may be and they're very very good at identifying people who will buy what they're selling um and it it seems like the same same patterns are are largely at work have have you seen any sort of uh information that that talks about radicalization or or how to de-radicalize these this because it seems like it's the same mindset over and over again Right. Well, in my circle, of course, we, we, we talk about radicalization. This is radicalization. It's no different than, um, you know, if we were going to use the idea of ISIS radicalizing people online. So, uh, you know, during that uh, uh, you know, uh, time period, there were certainly people from Canada, Britain, France, United States, all around the world who were radicalized by what they were exposed to online. Uh, and you always hear people like uh, genuinely shocked that their friend or their cousin or their brother or their, you know, what have you, um, ended up in Syria fighting for ISIS. Well, you say the same thing now. I mean, I've I've seen people who are genuinely shocked that they're, you know, a person they thought was a level-headed individual is now, you know, marching in in anti-vaccination campaign uh, 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 protests or are now, you know, involved in QAnon and, 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 and believing that that's a real thing. Uh, they, they, they can't get their head around it. But again, the same, the same things that, 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 that radicalized uh, individuals who joined ISIS are essentially the same things that are radicalizing you know, others that are, are getting through these movements. Uh, for, as for de-radicalization, there, there are a number of organizations that claim to be de-radicalized. De-radical, uh, some may more be more successful than others, but it's tricky. I mean, there's there's no formula, there's no plan, like set plan on how to de-radicalize a person and get them out of a, a group like this, be it QAnon, a hate group, uh, you know, what have you. Uh, and that's part of the struggle too, because 
I, I, I know that I've had people even prior to becoming, uh, you know, being identified as the writer for, for ARC, um, ask me, well, my, my friend is getting in this, my cousin, my, my brother, my sister, my, my parents, uh, how do I get them out? How do I prove to them that what they're, they're consuming isn't true? Uh, but again, it's it's hard because once they go down the rabbit hole, I, I don't want to seem hopeless. It's certainly not hopeless. I don't believe it is. I never give up. I, mean, I very rarely give up hate people, but it's going to be hard. And I think we need as a society to really determine what we as a society need to do to help people get out of this. People who might not normally have gone down that road, but because of, you know, uh, bad actors or as we're undergoing our, you know, entering into our second full year, of you know COVID you know uh, uh, COVID experience, uh, people who are sitting at home and doing nothing but consuming media, uh, and falling further and further down that rabbit hole. How do we how do we help those people? And I I don't have a I personally don't have a, a satisfactory answer to that, uh, but I think we need to do and we need to work on something so that because if we don't, it's just going to get far worse. I I I wish I could disagree with you, but I can't. Um, if people want to know more about the work that you're doing, the work that the Anti-Racist Collective's doing, the work that the Canadian Anti-Hate Network is doing, how do they, how do they follow, find, all of that kind of stuff? Well, uh, we're all on Twitter, so if you want to follow the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, um, they can find their Twitter account, and uh, I'm now a middle-aged man, and I can never remember what our Twitter accounts uh, are, um, but uh, uh, I think it's... Um, uh, I think it's at anti-hate Canada. Uh, mine is uh, at arc collective. Uh, I think that's what mine is still. Um, yep. You'll see a, you know, a bald man there instead of the symbol we used to have. Um, you know, the anti-hate Canadian hate network is, uh, is, is found online. Uh, if you're willing to help, if you'd like to help, um, they, they certainly accept financial donations. Um, you know, the, our researchers have done incredible work exposing some of these groups and, and um, you know, for, for example, the uh, uh, hate groups in the military uh, or hate individuals, hate groups in the military, they've done a very good job of, of exposing that and, and getting action from the government, for example. So, um, and there are a number of other really fantastic individuals out there that are doing great work in this. Um, I, 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 I can't list them all, but uh, they're easy to find, thankfully, if you find mine. Uh, uh, I, I've always said that I'm, I'm kind of glad that I was doxxed at the time I was because uh, there are a lot of young people who are doing much better work than I'm doing, uh, who, you know, they, they don't talk like a, like a, like a Gen Xer. They could actually, you know, get into these groups and not get exposed as like this Steve Buscemi, hello, fellow kids that I am now. So I, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, it's, it sucks. I don't like it at all. No, I, uh, and, and I, I, I don't like the fact my left knee has been bothering me over the last couple of years. Yeah, that's, that's not fun either. Yeah, my, I used to be hip. My, I, I told my students I used to be hip, and they said, well, the very fact that you're using the term hip makes you not hip. Yeah, yeah. No, I had, I had somebody call uh, one of my, my favorite bands, of whom I have several tattoos. Uh, oh, that's classic rock. And I was like, oh, God, help me. Okay, so <laughs> fun story related to that. Uh, I, I did a hike along Hadrian's Wall five, five years ago uh, with a bunch of friends and colleagues from, from work. And, you know, I landed in Edinburgh and uh, I waited for my two of my friends to arrive. And my friend Shirley, who lived in Scotland for, for, for a time and taught there for a time, she was willing to drive, which is good because I would have killed us all. 
Um, but I was fiddling through the radio stations and all of a sudden, you know, No Doubt comes up and Shirley and I who are the same age were talking about, hey, this great song. And then we came, it, it, the, the horror dawned on us that we were listening to an oldie station. <laughs> Was it was it no doubt before or after Gwen Stefani sold out? Oh, I, I love Gwen Stefani. I can't <laughs> say anything bad about Gwen Stefani. That's that's okay. I I did. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> Kurt, uh, before we go, is there anything else that you want people to hear? Is there anything else that you you want people to be more aware of? I just want to sort of give you the floor. If there's anything else that you want to say, sure. Um, I think the biggest thing I want people to take away from this is that, you know, it, this is a struggle that we're all going to have to face. We're all going to have to do something about it. We, in, in school, we talk about bullying. We talk about the bully, the bystander, and the, the victim, essentially. And we need to stop being bystanders. Um, uh, when you see something happening, you know, rather than pull out your cell phone and, and video recording it, uh, you know, which may be important in some cases, but, you know, say something, do something, just don't let it happen. Uh, you know, we need more people actually taking action and taking a, a conscious, making a conscious effort to make our world a better place to be, essentially. And um, I'm optimistic to believe that will occur. When I when I first started the blog, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, talking to journalists and and they say, well, we would be really interested in getting this information out there. But our editors were saying, well, Canada's not a racist society. So nobody's going to care about this. It's it's fringe. Um I guess if you could say there's any benefit from what's going on right now is that even news editors are, aren't saying this is fringe anymore. Um, but there's been some fantastic journalism kind of exposing this as well. Um, so be aware, be aware, um, you know, do your job, uh, do, 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 do what you can to try to uh, make this world better by, by speaking out, by, by being active. And you know, whether you're uh, a middle-aged white guy like me, who's never experienced racism and never will, or, you know, uh, or anybody else, like stand up for your neighbors, stand up for your people in your community. Awesome. Kurt, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And I think that there's going to be a lot of people who find this conversation uh, very informative. So, so thank you again. Thank you for having me. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, we would love it if you swung by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab and signed up for a small monthly sponsorship of the work that we're trying to do here. It is because of the support that we receive from our Patreon sponsors that we're able to continually up our game, and it is tremendously appreciated. So I want to throw a big thank you out to them. And you can go ahead and visit that website and join and support us as well because we need all the help we can get. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of these important conversations. And we will see you next time on The Breakdown.